for those who don't know us, we have a ministry that's based here where we travel on the road full time and we're evangelists. So we travel and preach wherever there's a door that opened up and uh, we actually take off tonight. We preach tonight for our eighth week of summer camp uh, with a bunch of junior high and high school students. And if you've seen the Face App Challenge and you've seen old Pastor Greg lately, uh, I feel like the Face App has happened to us in the last seven weeks of camp, being around a bunch of junior high and high school students. But no, uh, it really is a pivotal time in these kids' lives. And they're enduring a lot, they're facing a lot, and so it's been a huge honor to be able to travel the country and watch Jesus time and time again meet with kids at a summer camp. Meeting with students, and I believe our students are going to be going to camp here in a couple weeks. And uh, a lot of you have given money to scholarship them so that they can have a way to go. God changes people at camp. He does a powerful work in students' lives. And so we go off tonight to do that. But to start off this morning, anybody here ever have something that before you did it, you were like, uh... Yeah, I have a bad feeling about this. Like, I don't know if I should do it. Anybody ever have a moment like that where you're just like, ah, it just doesn't feel right. It's, it doesn't, it's not sitting right in my stomach. I just don't know. And then you end up doing it anyway. And then when you end up doing it, it's like the most chaotic thing or scenario or situation. And for me, one of those moments happened. I was in high school, and my best friend uh, had his girlfriend break up with him. And he still liked her. He would still write notes to her. And I'm like, bro, like she got rid of you. Like move on. Like it's time to, it's time to get the picture, you know. And he just wanted closure. And so he texted her and be like, hey, can we meet at a park to talk? And she's like, why? Like I'm dating somebody else. And he goes, I just want to have some closure. And she's like, sure, meet me at like 9 p.m. Orchard Lake Park in Lakeville. And so I ride with my buddy. And we got two buddies in the back of the car, so it's my, my best friend, uh, two buddies in the back and me. And we roll up into this park. She's bringing some ladies, we found out. And so we roll up into this park in Lakeville late at night, and we're sitting in a spot. And uh, I just have a bad feeling in my stomach. Like, one, why are you talking to your ex-girlfriend? Uh, that's one reason. Uh, and two, it's just, it just wasn't sitting right. Like, the idea just sounded weird. And so... We sit and we wait, and she shows up with her car, and she's got her ladies in the back, and I'm kind of scoping out to see, like, who the ladies are, like, hey, you know, like, is there a way, maybe, like, like trying to check it out, because I know, like, they need to talk, right? Like, they're going to do their thing, but maybe we could talk to them, and uh, the bad feeling that I felt beforehand became a reality when four cars came in the parking lot and surrounded and blocked our car in. And it was this girl's new boyfriend. It was a setup, and she texted her boyfriend saying, hey, my ex-boyfriend's going to come at this park to talk to me. Get your boys and show up and do something about it. So there were four cars full of five guys each. There were 20 guys that surrounded our car and got out of their car. And uh, the situation went from like, hey, like what's going on, to like, oh, my dear Lord, like what did we just do? And so literally a chaotic moment. And um, now my buddy on the, is in the back of the car on the phone with the police, trying to get the police, but we forget the name of the park. We don't remember what park we're at. And so the operator on 911 is like, okay, well, where are you? And we're like, we don't know. And he, she's like, well, give us a description. And we're like, we're at a lake. And the operator's like, there's thousands of lake in Minnesota. Like, you got to be more detailed. And he's like, there's trees. There's tall evergreen trees. And I'm... And, 
And so, I don't know, just to let you into my life a little bit, this might be weird for some of y'all, but just hang with me. In weird moments of my life, I would um, oftentimes erupt in speaking in a language I didn't understand. I'd pray. I'd pray in the spirit. I'd pray in tongues. And literally, in, I'm in the front seat, and I just start bursting out loud, praying in the spirit, out loud, praying in tongues. And the 911 operator is on the phone, and she says to my buddy, what's that noise in the background? Who is that in the background? What's going on in the background? My buddy's like, he's just praying. Don't worry about it. But I've always wondered, you know on those 911 shows and like the teleprompters interpreting what it's saying? I've always wondered if the 911 like operator could interpret what I was praying. And I just pictured coming up maybe like a different language, but it's just like, dear Jesus, send help now. Send your mighty angels. Free us now, God. We're going to die. Like I've wondered if it could just interpret like that. And so... Literally, we're full of chaos. My buddy's driving his mom's 5 Series gold BMW with tan leather interior like it's really nice. The only way we can get out of this situation is there's a curb in the front, like a foot curb. And if you know anything about 5 Series BMWs, they ride low to the ground. And we couldn't back up because cars were surrounding us on either side. And so I had enough of this because the guy's coming to the window telling my buddy, get out of the car. I just want to settle this, me and you. If you don't get out of the car, all 20 of us are going to get up on you and you don't want that. And I'm telling my buddy, bro, if we want to live, just Hop the curb. I don't care about your mom's BMW. We'll smash the front end, but we get to stink and live. Just jump the curb, Chris. Jump the curb. And he's like, no, Micah, just chill. And I'm like, how can we chill? Like, and so this chaotic situation is going around, and uh, the guy comes, and he says, he says to my buddy, he says, if you don't get out of this car, I'm going to go grab a hammer out of my trunk. I'm going to bust this window open. I'm going to have to do it that way. And so I was like, Chris... I don't want your mom's car to be damaged with the hammer. Let's just damage it, the front end. Let's go. Let's get out. And uh, Chris is still like, no. And as he goes and gets the ca- uh, hammer, he comes to the front end and taps the window. And now there's a crack forming in the window. And I, my heart is racing. Like, I have never felt so surrounded. I've never felt in such a dark place. I've never felt like my life was about to be threatened. Like, this was the most intense situation in my life. And just before he slams the hammer into the window, I see one of the greatest sights I've ever seen in my life. In these tall evergreen trees in Lakeville, Minnesota at Orchard Lake Park, late at night, I see these red, white, and blue whites lights start to hit off the trees. And all I see is this light figure. It's like these lights, and all of a sudden, the police show up, and the, the 20 guys are like, hey, the cops, it's the cops, get in their car. So all 20 guys get in their car, and they start taking off. And now there's a police chase of these squad cars chasing these guys in their cars, and I get out of the car more confident than I've ever been. And I'm just like, where you at? Where you at now, huh? Where you at? I'm right here. Let's go. And can I just tell you, in one moment of complete chaos and feeling like there was no way out, there was no hope, I went from that moment to feeling like I was like Muhammad Ali about to knock you out, like empowered and free. And if I could just be really real for a moment, I think a lot of us know what it's like to be surrounded and know what it's like to be lost or maybe even a dark spot. And maybe there's very few of us who knows what it actually means to truly be free. I think there's a lot of us that can really identify or relate with chaotic things or patterns in our life that we can't break free from or moments of isolation or leading to isolation or parts of our life where maybe no one knows about. Maybe even our spouse doesn't even know about it. And like we're hoping for the breakthrough moment. We're hoping for that moment that Jesus comes and 
saves us and rescues us for everything. We're, we're believing that that might be a reality, but it's like our lifestyle and the way we live, it's like there's no really sign of a breakthrough coming. And so why even try? Why even try this God thing when I keep doing the things I don't want to do and I keep messing up and I keep being in this darkness, I don't know what to, it's going to look like. And I just want to start off and preface the message by saying this. There is a real God and there is a real hell and there's a real devil. And a lot of the next generation is, uh, they're infatuated with the supernatural, they're infatuated with maybe shows on Netflix or YouTube or things in our society where it emphasizes the supernatural concept or whether it's Harry Potter or maybe watching exorcism or those kinds of things, but there is a real hell, there are real demons in this world and you see straight from scripture that the enemy looks to steal, he looks to kill, he looks to destroy, he looks to put people like you, people like me, people that aren't here today, he looks to keep them in an isolated spot, loves to put them in lonely places, and loves for people to live in a reality of darkness and chaos, but never actually truly experience the freedom that Christ came to do and accomplish for every single one of us. He loves to keep us bound. In fact, Ephesians 6, verse 10 says it this way. Paul's writing, and he reminds everybody in Ephesus, he says, hey, yo, don't forget. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand, don't miss this, so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. In other words, if you don't understand this, the devil has schemes for your life. Schemes to get you to buy into a lie, to believe it. Schemes to get you to divorce your wife or to divorce your husband. Schemes to have you live in immorality and kind of destroy a family. Schemes to try to mess up things or or maybe it's schemes just for anything that God once called beautiful, pure, and good to thwart it, to distort it, maybe just even an ounce to get you to believe it. And Paul's saying, look, there's devil schemes out there, and I'm calling you to stand strong in God. And then it says in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. In other words, Paul is saying this. Look, time out. A lot of y'all go through life thinking it's just physical. All it is is just physical. Yeah, I was abused, but all it was was just a physical thing. Yeah, someone put me down, but all it was was just one person physically doing that to me. And Paul's saying, time out. There's a whole nother battle that you all don't even realize, and there's a spiritual battle going on. And there's a real enemy here, and it, you can't see it, but you may sense it. You can't see it, but you might feel it, or you might be living in it. And Scripture also goes on to say that the devil is an accuser of the brethren, always accusing, always attacking. You know what blows my mind? is the majority of people and how often their thoughts are always accusatory thoughts. Like it's always on your mind. It's always accusing you. It's always coming into your mind. And then it describes the devil as a roaring, a prowling, roaring lion looking for people to devour. The devil, if you don't know the backstory, started off as a worship archangel in heaven called Lucifer. He was the angel of worship. And what led to the downfall of Lucifer being kicked out of heaven was his pride. Lucifer gets kicked out of heaven and into hell. And over 3,000 angels, or not, sorry, a, a third of the angels in heaven go down to hell with Satan. 
And those angels are figured to be demons. And where I'm leading you today is not a sermon about hell or a sermon about Satan or the devil. It's not a sermon to glorify demons or spiritual things we can't see going on. No, 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 that's not the point of today's sermon. This sermon is all about the Jesus way. That's all looking about Jesus and who Jesus is. If we've been walking through Mark, walking through different stories, up until this point in Mark 1 through 4, we've walked through it together. You've seen Jesus have the authority to forgive sins. You see whose sins he came to forgive, Levi and the tax collectors. You've watched Jesus minister and cast out demons already because demons have manifested themselves in synagogues. Jesus has nothing to do with do with it. The demons leave. You've seen Jesus heal people already at this point. You've seen Jesus talk about the parable of the sower and, and guarding our heart. And you've, you've seen all these things kind of play out. And just before where I'm going to take you today is after Jesus spends a whole day teaching on parables and teaching about different seeds... Jesus takes his disciples and says, let's go to the other side. He goes to the other side with his disciples. And before he can get to the other side of the lake, because they were in boats, a major storm hits. A storm hits. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Jesus gets up and says three words. Quiet, be still. And in that moment, Jesus demonstrates his authority over nature his power over nature, because within a moment, the storm stops, and it is still. The disciples probably thinking they get some rest going to the other side. Didn't expect a storm to show up. They just went through a chaotic moment right there. But then Jesus gets to the other side of the lake, and Jesus being fully God and fully man, he knows what's on the other side of the lake. He knows what's going to happen when he gets out of the boat. The disciples just live through a point where they watch Jesus calm the storm, but then they don't realize what's about to take place in Mark chapter 5. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus encounters something, and it says this. It says that they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Remember, they were crossing to the other side in verse 2. It says, when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Here's what you need to understand. Jesus has already had demon manifestations take place in his ministry. He's already seen it take place. But no other point in all of scripture, from the beginning of your Bible to the end of your Bible, have you ever seen an encounter with a presence, an evil presence like this and what we're about to experience. Jesus leads his disciples to the other side and the very first person to greet Jesus, the minute they step out of the boat, is a man with an impure spirit. It wasn't just an impure spirit. There were over 2,000 demons occupying this man. A legion is what they call a legion referencing to a number of maybe 2,000, maybe even more than that. And so Jesus steps out of the boat, and the minute he steps on the ground, a man comes running at him with an impure spirit, not clothed, fully naked. He has wounds all over his body because he's been taking pottery and self-mutilating himself and hurting himself. And if you're taking notes, I want to lead you to your first point. It's this. Jesus steps into the darkness to be your light. He steps into the darkness to be your light. I love to picture scripture this way. Some of you might be like, okay, l let me just give you a time out. This is the Micah version now. This isn't the NIV, okay? This man's been demonically possessed and oppressed for a while. He's not living with anyone. He's living in the tombs. And Jesus gets out of the boat, and no one has ever been able to bind him. No one's been able to con console him or take care of him. This man is a, a lunatic. He's a maniac. 
And it says, Jesus steps out of the boat. And I love to imagine, if you've ever seen any Avengers movie and you're in the movie theater, one of my favorite parts is when the bass drop hits and it's just like, you know when that bass hits and it's just like the theater shakes, you can feel it in your chest. When I read this scripture, I love to see Jesus, the minute he steps out of the boat, it's just like, like Jesus just showed up. Like he's on the scene. And he shows up into a man where all he's known is darkness. The disciples thought they were freaked out going through a storm. Now they're watching a lunatic man come running right at him. Can you imagine the disciples freaked out? And it's like Jesus just showed up. He steps into the man's darkness where all he's known is darkness to become this man's light. And he steps into the darkness where the disciples might be feeling to be the light of the world for them too. Jesus didn't come to step into areas where it was light everywhere. Jesus came to step into darkness because where darkness is and where light hits it, there can be no darkness anymore. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The light shines the brightest in the darkness. Not only does Jesus model what it means to be the light of the world, but then he looks at you and I and says, now you are the light of the world, which means this. Y'all can step up into dark places too, and darkness has to go because of the light that's inside of you. Jesus steps into the darkness to be your light to this man, but also to the disciples. And so you see Jesus do that, but then you see something else go on. You see the description of the man. In verse 3, it says, this man lived in the tombs. He lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. No strong man, no man who was physically fit, no multiple groups of men. Night and day among the tombs, this is crazy. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran, fell at his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. If you're taking notes, your point number two is this, is Jesus is greater than your sin, and he's greater than your chaos. He's greater than your sin, and he's greater than your chaos. All this man is known as chaos. And by the way, if you've ever been to Israel before, you have understand that the Sea of Galilee is actually a lake. And when Jesus steps out of the boat, he sees a man who would come running from the tombs. Tombs were built in the hillside of the mountain, and if you look at the Sea of Galilee, there's very high regions there where tombs could have very well been placed. And know what's crazy to me? Is this man felt more comfortable living among the dead than he did feeling living among the living. He felt more comfortable living around dead people than he did those who were alive. Know what sin will do to you and know what the devil loves to do to you? He loves to do the exact things that this man was dealing with. He loves to move you into isolation. Don't let anybody into your life. No one's going to really love you. No one's really going to accept you or take care of you. Don't let anyone in your life. Why don't you just cut yourself off from your family? Why don't you just keep quiet about the things that you've been doing in your life? The devil loves to push you into isolation. Not only that, but he loves to torment. You see how this man was tormented. He wasn't in his right mind. It says that he would cut himself. Y'all, he was self-mutilating. And yet so many young people today, how they cope with stress and how they cope with life is they self-mutilate. That is not from Jesus. That is not the spirit of God. That is not who Jesus is. 
And what breaks my heart is just a couple weeks ago, I read a story of a nine-year-old girl in the Philippines who committed suicide all because of a social media challenge. Y'all, suicide is not the voice of Christ. It's not his voice. Well, here you see a man tormented with thousands of demons, and he's cutting himself. And then it says this, that he cries out night and day. Have you ever been to a lake house? Have you ever been to a cabin? And you're there, and you're trying to go to sleep at 10 at night. But then across the lake, you got music bumping, you hear a party happening. You hear people talking in a voice just like this, but you can make out every word because the sound travels really well over water. Do you realize every night and day that this man was screaming out in torment? And how does sound travel over, or how does sound travel over water really well? Could it be possible that nearby areas and surrounding towns would hear this man screaming out every night and every day? <gasps> and people just growing deaf to the cries because they hear it all the time. I wonder how many people aren't screaming out every day, but they're screaming out on the inside, and we've become deaf to the cries because it's just this normal part of our life. You want to know why I preached this message today? Pastor Greg gave me the option to preach one of two messages, either Mark 5 following the demoniac story where Jairus' daughter is healed and a woman with blood issues healed or this story. And the reason why I couldn't help but preach this story is because of my, just my journeys throughout the week. I go to LA Fitness and I watch people and I just, as I'm walking around, I'm praying for people and I see these people and they're just bound up, tormented, hurting, alone, and broken. And they might not be screaming physically, but I couldn't help but think how many people are living in bondage and desperately need to hear today that Jesus is greater, way greater, and way more powerful than their sin and their chaos ever will be in their life. And the demons end up doing three things in this story. The very first thing they do, it says when the man came to Jesus, it says the man ran and fell on, his, fell on his knees before Jesus. That word right there in the Greek, to fall before Jesus, it means to worship. And here's what it means. The demons do three things. The first thing you see the demons doing is you see them worshiping Jesus. Because that Greek word means this. Someone is greater in our presence than us. Someone right here, right now, is greater than us. Do you realize when Jesus shows up on the scene, the demons stink and bow down and worship God. They have to recognize that someone greater and more powerful than them is in their midst and in their presence. It's why when Jesus would show up and preach, demons had to manifest themselves because they couldn't stay in his presence. They had to literally declare who he was, which leads to my next point. It's not only do demons worship Jesus, but demons declared who he was. You notice how they say when Jesus shows up on the scene all over scripture? In Mark chapter 5, it says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Declaring his divinity, declaring who he is as a Messiah. Not only do the demons bow down and worship, but the demons also declare who Jesus is. They know who he is. And they know they have no authority and they know they have no power once Jesus shows up on the scene. And not only do they worship and declare who he is, but the last thing you see is you see the demons as a bunch of beggars begging Jesus for mercy. They're begging Jesus. They bow down, they declare, and now they beg. 
And then they say this in the man in verse 7. It says, in God's name, don't torture me. When Jesus shows up, a man who's been full of chaos and full of sin, a man who's been naked, a man who's been labeled, a man who has no hope for a future, a man who has everybody trying to bind him rather than people trying to free him, a man who's been just labeled as an outcast. When Jesus shows up on the scene, the demons inside of him who've been captivating him beg Jesus, don't torture us. You want to know why they're saying that? Because the end place for every demon on earth is going to be a forever place in hell forever. That's their eternal punishment. And so when he shows up, you see demons begging. You go on to see it in a few verses later. It says this. It says in verse 12, the demons beg Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. In other words, Jesus, don't torture us. Jesus, send us somewhere else. We don't want to go where we deserve. That right there is the power of the God that we serve. That Jesus inside of us is greater than anything around us or anything in the world. That Jesus and who he is and his power, that every demon has to go, every demon has to bow, every demon has to beg. Because that is how good and how powerful Jesus is. This is not a sermon to glorify demon possession or those impacted by demons. This is a sermon to look at how powerful Jesus is and how he's greater than your sin and greater than your chaos. And not only does Jesus step into the darkness to be your light, not only does Jesus greater than your sin and your chaos, but your third and final point is this, is Jesus sees the real you. He sees the real you. Do you understand this? What did Jesus see in this man that nobody else could see? What did Jesus witness and know about this figure, this person where everybody's trying to bind him? Isn't this crazy? Everybody went to go and try to bind a demonic man, yet Jesus came to never look to bind anybody, but look to actually free him. And here Jesus is showing up on the scene. I can imagine the disciples' rhetoric. By the way, do you understand for this man to be naked, it was actually a sexual perversion thing. In Jewish culture, if you were considered naked or walk around naked, you were considered a sexual pervert. This is a man who's been labeled as a sexual pervert, violent, screamer, maniac, out of control. Yeah, just let him be. He loves living among the dead anyway. Hey, kids, stay away from that man. What would the disciples would have thought when they step out of the boat and see this man running and see the scars on his arms, maybe fresh blood still dripping from the night before of self-mutilation? Whoa, Jesus, what are we doing here? Oh, my word. Is that the same guy that we have heard screaming before? Jesus, let's get in the boat. Let's go. Jesus never looks at the outside figure of people's lives. Every single person to ever walk this earth was made in the image of God. You are not what your sin says you are. You are not what your chaos has brought into your life. Our good Father in heaven does not see the dysfunction. He sees a child of God that's yet to be set free in his name for his glory and for his purposes. Yet so many of us live out of our labels and we never live out of the freedom that God set for our lives. So many of us live in the lies. Do you realize every time we believe the lie, 
we literally empower the liar's voice in our life. Do you understand that? The minute you believe the lie that all you are is a divorced husband, that all you are is a cheater, that all you are is a screw-up or a drunkard, that all you are is you'll never break free, do you realize that every time you believe the lie in your life, it gets reinforced to empower the liar's voice in your life? And Jesus is saying, I never saw you that way. I never see you that way. Why was Jesus the only man to walk this earth who never treated the demoniac like he deserved? Uh, it's a lot like us, isn't it? That he does not treat you and I the way our sins deserve. That he doesn't treat us the punishment and things we deserve in our life. But when he looks at the mess and he looks at the screw up and he looks at the chaos, the very presence of God does not add to the chaos or the dysfunction, but when the very presence of God meets the dysfunction and the chaos, it cannot help but get itself back into order. He's a God of order. He buys back the junk and the dead things and puts it back, puts his life on it and makes it better than before. In verse 9, Jesus says, what is your name? You know what a name does? It makes you feel like a person. What's your name? It makes you feel like a person. When was the last time this man was ever asked for his name? Jesus says, what's your name? He didn't see him through the dysfunction. He saw him through his personhood and who he could be as a child of God. And then in verse 15, when they cast the demons out into a herd of pigs, the pigs go rushing off the field and they go drown themselves. In verse 15, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who'd been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind and they were afraid. I love Jesus so much because no one is too far for his love. No one is too far for his power and his grace and his authority to set people free. No one's too far. And I love this picture, a man who came running out at him, a disfigured, chaotic man, now bowed, demons gone out of his life, dressed and sitting in his right mind. Order restored. Yet so many of us, we never live a life of order or the life of freedom that Christ has called us to because we're living from places of strongholds rather than from places of freedom. Do you understand what a stronghold is? To all the youth kids in the room, you all know the Fortnite game where you got to quick build something, a fortress, and then boom, you're protecting, you can fight from it. A stronghold is an area, a, a place. It can be used as a place of protection or it can be used as a place of destruction. And when you and I get caught up believing the wrong things, it's like a place of destruction comes around our life and we never live from a place of freedom, but we always live from a place of bondage. We keep messing up and doing the wrong things. Y'all, the power of Christ came to abolish and demolish every stronghold. Do you realize why Jesus came? In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, there was a prophecy that the Messiah would come and crush the serpent's head. In other words, he crushed the devil's head. In 1 John 3.8, you see the fulfillment where it says the reason why the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. It was to destroy him completely, which means this. Because Christ came to destroy the works of the devil, the works of the devil no longer need to be in your life. It no longer needs to be a place of stronghold because what Christ accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection is a way more than enough power and authority for you to live in the freedom and away from the strongholds that love to exist in your life. 
I have one challenge for you, and it's very simple this week. It's something all of us can do. Put up the challenge. The challenge is this. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians verse 10 says it this way. It says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. This is so dope. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Y'all, Christ has given you the power. He's given you the authority to walk in the freedom he's called you to walk in by literally taking every thought captive that's contrary to Jesus and make it obedient to Christ. No, that doesn't sound like Jesus. No, it would be interesting. Write out a journal of your thoughts in one day. Write them all out. Text them in your phone. And look at how many thoughts are contrary to the mind of Christ. The Word of God says He's given you the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. He leads you into thoughts that are pure, lovely, admirable, true, right, noble. Philippians 4 says it this way, think on those things. Think on what's lovely, what's true, what's right, what's noble, what's admirable, what's loving. Think on those things. It's a battle for our mind. It's a battle for our heart. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Every time a thought comes up from my past, every time a thought comes to the forefront of my head, say, no, that's not who I am. Jesus said that's been removed from my life as far as the east is from the west. That's not my life anymore. Every time I see a, someone walk by and I might have a chance to lust, no, in Jesus' name, God, I pray your blessing over her. God blesses those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. Start quoting scripture. Get the word of God in your life. Isn't it funny that when Jesus was tempted by the stupid devil, he used the very word of God to come back at the devil so his thoughts wouldn't be his thoughts, but the word of God was meditating on his mind day and night. It was what he spoke to people. God has given everything you and I need to be the husbands he's called us to be, to be the wives he's called us to be, to be the people of God he's called us to be. And so you've heard all this today. You've heard that Jesus steps into the darkness to be your light, and you've heard that Jesus is greater than our sin and chaos, and then you see that Jesus sees the real you, but so what? What's the big so what? Here's the big so what. Is Jesus has a purpose for your pain and a story for your scars. And others need to see it and others need to hear it. There's a purpose for your chaos. There's a purpose for your pain. There's a story for your scars. And know what's really cool? Is this man, do you realize? Jesus sets him free. And then in Mark chapter 5, he begins to beg Jesus to follow him. Isn't that funny? The demons beg not to be tortured. And this man goes to a place of begging Jesus to follow him. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the demon-possessed man begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. Verse 20, so the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. In other words, Jesus said, hey, demoniac man, it ain't who you are anymore. I have a purpose for the very things you endured. I have a purpose for the pain that you went through. And there's a story for all the scars on your arm and your face and your bodies from all the self-mutilation you did. Go and share the freedom that you've received from me. Go tell everybody you know. Show them your scars. Tell them your pain. Tell them what you went through. And go watch and see what I will do through you. 
So many of us in the room have scars today because we've been healed. Scars is a resemblance of healing, a marking on your life of what you've been healed by something. Y'all, we got to stop hiding our scars and start revealing them for a world to see how awesome God is and how he can get glory through the midst of your pain because there's a purpose for it. How many of people are waiting to be set free, just waiting for people to reveal the pain and yet reveal the purpose for it in the story of it? My sister who battled cancer for two years had a miracle in her life. She had over 15 surgeries on her lungs. Can you imagine being a 10-year-old girl and now being 25 and having scars all over your body? You know what's really dope? Is my sister, the day she got married, decided to wear a wedding dress that would reveal the scars on her back and scars on her chest. Because when she walked down that aisle, she wanted people to know the story of God's redemption over her life. And it wasn't a sign of ugliness. It was a sign of hope and something beautiful to everybody in attendance of who Jesus is and what he can do in your life. Jesus says, go tell everybody. You know what's really crazy? The very next time Jesus steps foot in the Decapolis, there are crowds of people waiting for him. Why? Because one man, the first evangelist to go to a Gentile region, starts telling everybody his story. Christ has set you free so that you might go share your story of freedom with other people.